Well, we're over midway through uh, February, and uh, this year feels like it's going so much faster than last year. Uh, our boys, uh, this is our, the second week of school for our boys, and we're just settling back into routine. And it feels so good to have uh, just some sort of a some sort of continuity and also a time where Jinha and I can just kind of get our lives back on track. I hope that's the same for you all. Um, but yeah, this, uh, this week we're going to be starting a series uh, entitled Growing in Grace. And today I'll be covering part one, and the next time I share I'll be covering part two. So today we're going to be exploring this topic. Uh, I wanted to introduce by sharing... Um, this book that was written, and let me just see if I can get this. Um, working properly. Okay, there we go. Um, I want to start by sharing a book uh, that was written by James Thurber back in 1939. It's called The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Uh, in 2013, uh, it was adopted into a movie, and uh, Ben Stiller starred in this uh, in this film. And um, I, I really like a part of this film because I feel like it does a, it does such a good job of portraying the analogy of what it means to grow in grace. Uh, Walter, who works at Life Magazine, desperately tries to find photojournalist Sean O'Connell, who is played by Sean Penn in the photo there, and he needs to locate this missing negative that's supposed to grace the cover of the final issue of Life Magazine. The movie chronicles Walter following Sean's itinerary to all sorts of exotic locations uh, where incredible events take place. There we go. Um, when Walter finally catches up with Sean, he finds him in the Afghan Himalayas trying to catch a photo of a rare snow leopard. As Walter sits next to Sean, he's instructed, um, there's a snow leopard in that region over there, but you have to be very, very, very still. They call the snow leopard ghost cat because it never lets itself be seen. As Walter ponders why Sean uh, would travel to the Himalayas to capture this photo, as if to read his mind, Sean says, beautiful things don't ask for attention. As the two look on, a snow leopard appears and the pair admire this majestic animal. Walter turns to Sean and asks, so when are you going to take the photo? Sean replies, sometimes I don't. If I like the moment, I don't like the distraction of the camera. I just want to stay in it, right here. The snow leopard then goes back into hiding and Sean moves on from the location. I love this scene because it serves as an analogy of encountering holiness. You see, Sean pursues this elusive creature because it is inherently beautiful. And when he finally encounters this beast, he's so taken aback by it that the purpose of his whole trip is no longer important. All the time taken to organize the travel arrangements, all the money spent on getting to the actual location, all the effort of hiking up the mountain, all the fame and money that would have come as a result of the photo, it wasn't important. 
the most important thing for Sean was simply to be in the creature's presence and to be moved by the moment. When you encounter a God who is not insecure, a God who doesn't need to be seen, when we behold God's goodness, His love, His majesty, His power, His glory, that moment has a potential of derailing your agenda, your purpose and the direction of your life. If you let it, you will grow in grace. In John chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus says something quite challenging. He says, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Here, Jesus says that experiencing rebirth and transformation is an integral part of following Jesus. Now, it's true that the Bible says that we are not saved um, by what we do. We're saved by grace. It's a gift. Our merit, our uh, achievements, our efforts are, are not enough. I'm sorry for all that. <laughs> we can be 99% good, and that 1% deficiency means that we are still 100% reliant on a saving relationship with Jesus. Having said that, part of a relationship with Jesus is having a genuine appreciation for what God has done in our lives. It means that we should be willing to trust in God when we read something in God's Word that impresses us to change, we should explore what that change means and why it's important to God. When this is done consistently, transformation takes place. Notice what the author James says about the role of our efforts. In James chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, the writer says, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. James says that what we do completes what we believe. Without action, our faith is incomplete. Last time I shared about uh, paradoxical pairings, two seemingly opposing ideas that are dependent on each other in practice. This is another one of those paradoxical pairings. In a theological sense, faith and effort are not compatible. Often Christianity fixates or emphasizes one of these. Either we become too grace-heavy where we are no longer accountable for our actions and we cultivate this attitude of ambivalence uh, because, well, Jesus forgives. Uh, I'm saved and what I do, God understands. The problem is that this perpetuates injustice and immorality. On the other hand of the spectrum, or on the other end of the spectrum, people who fixate on effort become really judgmental and works-oriented. Where if you don't obey everything that is written in the Bible, you're seen as not good enough. And this extrinsic religion becomes burdensome and unhappy and divisive. The reality is that both of these ideas are dependent on each other. 
It's interesting to me that when we live out our faith in genuine obedience, our awareness of grace increases. When I try really hard to do good and to be good, I quickly become aware of how not good I really am. And it's in this process of trying and failing and learning and trying again that I become more aware of just how good and patient God really is. Maturing is difficult. That's why our faith is so important. Knowing that God forgives and that He gives us second chances an infinite amount of times allows us space to try again. In his book, Outliers, In his book, Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell researches what separates those who excel in their field from those who don't excel. There are several ingredients to greatness, but one of these ingredients is practice. Gladwell says that it takes 10,000 hours of practice to master something. In other words, in order to become a master at something, one must get very comfortable with not being a master before one arrives. Abba Dorotheus of Gaza wrote, We make no progress because we have not squarely taken on our own measure. We do not persevere in the work we begin and want to acquire virtue without effort. Dorotheus is highlighting that growth takes effort and it takes time. And something that I found helpful in implementing um, spiritual growth is something called a rule of life. Now, a rule of life um, is a pattern of spiritual disciplines that provides structure and direction for growth. Uh, here's an example of one. And, and as you notice, this pattern of spiritual disciplines, it can, can, it can come in the form of attitudes, behaviors, or elements that are routine. So in this example, uh, this individual who lives by this rule of life has 15 minutes of silent prayer upon rising in the morning, 15 minutes of spiritual reading before, uh, excuse me, 15 minutes of spiritual reading, and before bed, a general examination of conscience, followed by confession, then identifying issues for the next morning's prayer. Arranging the hours of the day to make this rule possible, setting aside specific time for prayer, study, recreation, and sleep, and making a habit of turning the mind to God in prayer. Here's another example of a rule of life. This one, this specific example was uh, written by Martin Luther King Jr., and he developed this rule to guide the nonviolent protests of civil rights, of the civil rights movements, uh, of, of the civil rights movement. His rule emphasized the spiritual principles and inner attitudes undergirding one's actions, although it also included specific practices such as meditation, prayer, and service. And every demonstrator who uh, joined in the movement, in the civil rights movement uh, that he was a part of or organizing, had to agree to this rule. I apologize that the font is a little bit small for those of you who are using smaller screens. I've also added my um, a part of my rule of life. <clears throat> and what what you'll come to realize quickly is that developing a rule of life, it's a matter of personal discernment. 
You can use a template or you can personalize your rules to fit your circumstances. Now, I have not implemented all of these rules and there are weeks when very little of this gets implemented, but this document serves as a guide for me and provides a framework of practice that I'm able to revert to. Um, and so there are certain um, routines that I have daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly uh, for myself and my family, and there are several of the sections that I've, I've excluded. But if you're curious, I'm happy to send uh, the rest of the rule of life to you. So feel free to message me or contact me. I'm happy to share. <clears throat> In the book of Acts, Luke outlines a formula for growth for the church. Um, Chiri Hayes observes a literary structure in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 to 47, and it highlights this formula. I'll share the passage with you on the screen. And what you'll notice is that this passage has been formatted in the literary structure that I'm referring to. You'll see that there are two main sections in the text. And let me see if I can... I'll try not to hide behind the um, screen. Okay, that wasn't it. Let's see if I can get this to work. Okay, I'm not sure why the presenter view... Oh, there it goes. (laughs) But now the screen gets smaller. Okay, well, that was an interesting experiment. Okay, I'm going to hide behind the, the, the slide, unfortunately. So... Chiri Hayes points out that there are two main sections in the text. The first section is in verses 38 to 41. And in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 to 41, it tells us that followers of Jesus repent, get baptized, and receive the power of the Holy Spirit. These things are stated because they happen first in the life of the Christian. Before someone can practice a radical new way of life, they must be empowered by God. And I guess the question is, how does this happen? And the answer is, to receive God's Spirit, a person can repent, which means to turn or change one's mind about who God is. When someone turns towards Jesus and away from their own solutions for life, they show that they believe who He is, and they become a part of His family. This turning point is meant to be celebrated with a sign of baptism, a concrete way of showing that God has forgiven them and given them a new life. If someone who is watching has come to this decision of wanting to get baptized, uh, feel free to contact myself or Jinha. Um, we're very happy to walk with you through that decision. And um, yeah, it's, it's a very important decision. And so uh, if there's anyone that's watching, feel free to contact us. So this first section flows together in order to empower the elements of the second section. You'll notice this second section is boundaried by verses 41 and 47. And uh, you'll see that there is a little um, uh, darker font for, for the bookends of that middle section. So verses 41 and 47, these texts highlight the numerical growth of the church. Within that boundary, we see four practices that are first stated in verses 42, then expounded on from verses 43 to 47. These practices are, and they're highlighted in color, attention to God's word and works, shared participation and resources, 
breaking of bread, and finally prayer and worship. This literary structure is called an inclusio. The repeated phrase or bookends of the passage highlights a theme. Uh, Then the content inside of the bookends relates to that theme. The author wants the reader to connect these ideas to find meaning. In this case, the bookends communicate a multiplication of growth uh, where the growth of the church is multiplied. Now, This growth is stated in several other places in the book of Acts. So in Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 9, and Acts chapter 12. In the book of Acts, we see this fulfillment of a plan that God had implemented since the beginning of time. When God created Adam and Eve, he told them to be fruitful and multiply. When God called Abraham, uh, God had been trying to raise, or excuse me, when God called Abraham, he promised Abraham, I will make you the father of a great nation, and through you, I will bless the world. Since the beginning, God has been trying to raise this group of people uh, that could represent him to the world, um, and even the universe. In the book of Acts, we see a fulfillment of that goal. So Luke outlines for us four practices that can not just lead to numerical growth, but more importantly, spiritual growth. Today, I want to explore the first practice with you. Next time time I share, I'll finish by exploring the remainder of the practices. As we review the literary structure of Acts chapter 2, verses 38 to 47, you'll notice how the apostles are mentioned twice. The first time, they are mentioned for their teaching. The second time, they are mentioned for the signs and wonders God is doing through them. The repeated word apostle causes us to consider a parallel relationship between the word of God and the works of God. Throughout the book of Acts, there's this relationship between these two ideas. The apostles taught that Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, who they said was resurrected from the dead, they claimed that Jesus was in heaven and that he, cl- uh, that he forgave, that he promised to forgive sin. Their message was amplified the, by the miraculous signs that Jesus continued to do through them uh, by the power of his spirit. In Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit falls on the disciples and they begin to speak in many languages. As Jews from all over the world gathered to Jerusalem uh, for the yearly festivals, the disciples who are empowered by the Spirit of God begin to preach, and miraculously, they're understood by all who listen. We read the account in Acts chapter 2, verses 29 to 33. Fellow Israelites, Peter says, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Notice, Peter wants to highlight that God's word was confirmed by God's work. 
God's word and his works are designed to point people to God. There are a few um, tools that I have been using over uh, the course of uh, the pandemic. Um, one tool I've been using for about two years. The other tool uh, I've just gotten onto, and I wanted to share the two of these tools with you to help you grow in your experience of God's word and God's work. So here's the first, uh, well, I'll show you a picture of what the apps look like. Uh, forgive the uh, the doodle um, that was freehand, but uh, these two apps, one is a scripture memory app and the other app is called the Bible Project um, app. Uh, the scripture memory app, I probably use this more than any other app on my phone, but basically in summary, it allows you to load different passages of scripture that you want to memorize um, onto your phone, and it has different activities that help you memorize that scripture. And I found that over the course of uh, this this two-year period, or however long that we've been in this pandemic now, um, just taking time out each day, going for a walk, and just meditating on these passages have been incredibly helpful. I find that I have a much deeper um, experience with the word. Um, oftentimes I just repeat the same passage over and over and over again. And I find that each time I repeat the, the, the memory verse, there's a deeper level of understanding, uh, that, that comes to mind. And as I try to apply it into my life, I find that it deeply enriches, uh, my understanding of who God is and, and, um, it's, it's helping guide me, uh, spiritually. And so that scripture memory app has been, uh, a real breath of, of, of life for me. And so I highly, uh, recommend scripture memory to anyone who um, isn't practicing it regularly. Give it a shot for a one month period. And I wouldn't say pick a huge passage initially, just pick a small passage or short passage that's meaningful to you and just repeat it and think about it for um, moments throughout the day. And I find the more that I think about the passage, the more meaningful it becomes. So I hope that tool is a blessing to you. The second tool that I want to share with you is something that's recently been uh, released. Uh, you've heard Jinha and I talk about the Bible Project regularly. Um, for those of you who are regular attendees of our services, we usually play a Bible Project video that highlights uh, theological concept or um, provides an introduction to the book of the Bible. They make excellent, excellent videos that um, have helped me in my own Bible knowledge. And they recently released a new app called the Bible Project app. And what they've done is they've tried to make Bible reading more accessible. I think the reality is that studying scripture is not easy. It's difficult. There's so many cultural, linguistic, historical um bits of information that the reader needs to be familiar with in order to make meaningful sense out of Scripture. And so this app, I think, is probably one of the best apps I've ever come across um, to help the person, uh, to help the seeker for truth understand Scripture. So what they recommend is reading through, um, reading through Scripture in, in phases. And so they've 
pre-cut these different phases. And so the reader can then click the first phase is Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 11. And if you click on that phase, then it gives you a Bible study guide. It uploads videos for you that help introduce the book of the Bible or introduce challenging topics that might come up or arise in that passage. And what it does, it, it allows the reader to just understand what they're reading before they read it. And I think being able to put a framework to text is so helpful when reading the text. And so it's just an incredible, incredible resource. Um, that's not all. If you continue on, um, there are also three different sections that help increase an individual's reading skills or their study skills, whether it's being able to recognize uh, patterns throughout scripture, and I've highlighted different styles. There are different literary styles in scripture, whether it's poetry, narrative, um, prose. Uh, there are so many different styles, and understanding the different styles is going to make a big difference when you're trying to read scripture. Uh, for example, if you read a passage of scripture and it's a parable, you're going to read that parable very different. Uh, you're going to read that parable in a different manner than if you're going to read, uh, let's say, the Ten Commandments. Because the Ten Commandments, they are what they are. When you read it, uh, it's designed for the reader to say, okay, this this is what I'm supposed to do. When you read a parable, um, you're not going to emulate every action from the different characters within the parable because it's an allegory. Uh, and so it serves a different purpose. So understanding the different literary style is incredibly helpful when you approach the text. They've also loaded... Um, okay, I can't even read that because it's too small on my end. I'm sure it's too small for you too. Oh, uh, they've, they've also loaded structure as well. <laughs> and so, yeah, understanding the structure, and I've, I've shared one uh, literary structure, which is the inclusio, Understanding how that works makes a big difference when approaching the text. Finally, what they've done is they've loaded podcasts, Bible study guides uh, that are specifically related to the passage that you're reading. And so if you're reading in Genesis and you click on the tab that says podcasts or uh, resources, it'll upload all of the resources that are related to that text for you. And so once again, I, I think this is probably one of the best um, apps for Bible reading. I highly recommend it. It's it's downloadable on uh, on uh, the app the Apple App Store and also um, on Google Play as well. Um, I, I hope that as you explore really what it means to take in God's work that uh, excuse me God's word that you will experience God's word. There's one passage that I want to share with you um, in closing. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. The text says, Are we beginning to command ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You, use, you yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. 
not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Paul here writes that the intent of God's word, as we take in God's word, we become a, a written epistle, a written letter from God to humanity. And it's my prayer that as you take in God's word, that you would be able to experience his work. As I was thinking about this idea of God's word and God's work, um, I was challenged by this idea that oftentimes as you read the Bible, you find that the work of God seems to be uh, seems to portray itself or manifest itself differently than the way that it does in our lives. And, and what I mean by that is that there are moments in the Bible where there are such huge miraculous events that make it seem undeniable of uh, that make God's power and God's existence undeniable. And I suppose the question is why don't we see that in a more apparent way in our lives as well? I came across this article and, and I just found that it was written so well and I wanted to share it um with you um as as we bring this to a close. Uh, the the writer um the writer writes, So does God still use signs to guide his people? If God followed his teaching with signs and wonders in the book of Acts, is that what we should expect in our modern context too? Even in the early days of the church, biblical teaching wasn't always accompanied by miraculous signs. This is because those who seek a sign without trusting God can't receive anything that would convince them. And those who really trust God don't need a new sign to confirm his providence. Yes, God can still use signs, just as he can still use teaching to support those who trust in him. But ultimately, we're called to trust in Jesus, not signs. And when we trust Jesus, we ourselves can become signs of God's reality and promises. When we trust in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit and are empowered to reflect Jesus' teachings in our lives. This process makes us into living signs to the world, so that they may know and trust Jesus. I believe that as we take in God's word, we can grow in grace. There is a promise that we can grow in maturity. Um, and, And as a result, God's work is then shown or manifested. Now that that balance of, God, where is your work? Where are you, How are you working? As I thought about this, uh, I kind of asked myself the question, where have I seen God work clearly in my life? And for those of you who have been in our church for a long time, you've heard the different stories and testimonies that I've shared uh, about how God has worked in our family. But I still think the most clear evidence of God's work is found in the midst of God's mission in the midst of God's work. Um, And what I mean by that is there have been so many times in the journey of our church plant where I thought things wouldn't work, whether it was uh, finding a a venue uh, eight years ago uh, to to launch church service and and coming across 500 Collins Street and meeting meeting Derek and um, him him opening up his business to us and and for me it was it was moments like that where I just saw God's work most clearly and as I reflected about uh, reflected on my life the moments yeah the moments where I encountered God the most 
was in the midst of doing his work. And I think a lot of times when we try to make scripture about us, when we ask God to perform a miracle so that it progresses our own ambitions and our own dreams and our own uh, desires, there are many times where I have experienced disappointment. And I've asked that question, God, where were you in that moment? And, and it just kind of felt like God was absent. But if I reflect on the journey of being involved in God's work, there, there have been moments time and time and time again where God has pulled through. And I think the most recent one was where we applied for funding for the future of our church even, even now. We were in another point of transition, and lo and behold, God provides. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's in those moments where I see God's work most clearly. And as I even read scripture, God's work is closely connected to God's mission. And so I encourage you to center your life on God's mission. You will experience his work as you delve into his word. May God bless you as you continue to seek and search for him. I want to invite those of you uh, who are interested. Um, we have this Next Steps Connect card. And if there's anything in your heart where you want to connect with Jinha or myself or you'd like to get more involved in church, um, or uh, as I mentioned before in the message, uh, perhaps you've made a decision for baptism, I encourage you to scan the QR code and get in touch with us and we will contact you shortly. As usual, uh, we have our Zoom breakout room. And uh, before we enter into our Zoom session, I just want to invite you to join me for a word of prayer, and then we'll finish our service. Father God, as we consider this idea of growth in grace, I just want to pray that you would teach us to be able to have those moments where we can sense your presence, where we can sense your power, your glory, your majesty, and that as it overwhelms our senses, may we be keenly aware of your will for our lives. May we be able to hear your will. May we be able to understand your word. And as we respond to you, may we experience, um, may we experience that growth um, for your namesake. We pray this in your name. Amen.